0: You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. So we are continuing our journey through the book of Acts, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna cover a large chunk of chapter 19. So if you would turn there, but while you're turning there, I wanna ask you a question. I want you to think back, to a time before you were saved. Now that's gonna be different for every person in here. Some of you may have accepted Christ at six years old that where you can't really remember a time before Christ. You could have been a 28-year-old hard-headed numbskull like this guy right here. I was 28 before I finally came to Christ. But I want you to think back to that time. Are you a different person from who you were before you were saved? Really kind of do a a self inventory and, and think about that. Has the Lord convicted you to where you used to do X before you were saved and now it's no longer an issue? Is that part of your testimony? That conviction of the Lord, has He taken things away from your life in a good way? When you hear people share their testimonies, that's one of the things. It could be name anything sinful, anything at all, alcohol, drugs, whatever. Think of that. Has the Lord removed that from your life? And the answer may be no or not yet. But the Lord is working. And what we're going to see in Scripture today is we're going to see a clear-cut case of when the Lord convicts. And so the, the title of this message today is The Transforming Power of the Holy Spirit. That transformation. You see a lot of churches, you have Transformation Church. It's, you know, all about, you know, like a metamorphosis really is, is the Greek where we get that, where Paul tells us in in Romans chapter 12 to don't be uh, consumed by the world, but be renewed in your heart and in your mind, transforming that metamorphosis. Think of like a butterfly. Um, I did not do very well in science class. I should probably have been up here for prayer, but science class was never a a good one for me, but when a um, caterpillar turns into a butterfly, did I just mess that up? Okay. See, proof is in the pudding. Before a butterfly becomes a butterfly, it's whatever, before. But same kind of thing, that word metamorphosis, that's kind of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. So that's where we're going to land today, is we're going to see that clear-cut example of scripture, in Scripture of what that looks like, and we're going to see ourselves in that. So, have you found Acts chapter 19? Before we get there, the the teacher in me, and I know Eric's kind of cringing up here as well, we're going to go pretty quick through this first part, even though there's so much that we can stop and and unpack, but I want us to, we don't want to neglect anything in the book of Acts because all of it is important, but specifically where we want to end up today, we're going to have to kind of move a little bit quicker through this first part. So let's look at Acts chapter 19, starting in verse number one. It says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So here we have, I didn't realize how small that text looks up there. We have these dozen guys that they are in Ephesus, which is a very, very long way from Israel. Now, remember, John the Baptist was out there preaching in the Judean desert. He was preaching what? It says it here, repentance Basically, the Messiah is coming, you better get your mind right, get your heart right. That was the message of John the Baptist. These guys heard that, they were baptized in the River Jordan, most likely, and then what they did is they moved on, they went and traveled, they did all of this. They were, look at the end of verse number one, they were believers, but they were not believers in the new covenant sense. They were believers in the old covenant sense. They were baptized as an act of repentance and it wasn't until Paul came upon them that they then were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it says here, "In in the name of the Lord Jesus. So these people are much like Apollos at the end of chapter 18 that Tom talked about last week. They were believers. They were there. They were, yes, they believed in God the Father. They knew that the Messiah was coming. They didn't know that the Messiah had come. So these guys, they're happy-go-lucky. They're, yes, the Messiah is coming. Do you see him? Nope, I don't. He's, he's coming. Here comes Paul saying, did you receive the Holy Spirit? They said, the holy what? They had no idea what was happening because the Holy Spirit was not poured out. See, John the Baptist's ministry was before Christ did his three-year ministry here on this earth. So when he was resurrected, they had no idea that he had come or that he had been resurrected, much less the Holy Spirit being poured out. So these guys, they were God the Father lovers, but they had not heard about Christ. And so they were baptized for the second time in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then it says they received the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There's a lot that we can get into with that, but for the sake of time, we are going to continue. So let's look at verse number 8. It says, Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Let's stop right there. Paul, it says that he argued persuasively, and you may have a different translation. When he argued with people, it's not a screaming, knock-down, drag-out, I'm right, you're wrong, you know, like a baseball umpire, you know, kicking dirt on each other's shoes. That's not what he was doing. What he was doing, and, and if you understand kind of Paul's ministry, Paul was trained in something called rhetoric. Rhetoric is the act of persuading someone. You hear that term a lot and used in politics that so-and-so has bad rhetoric or dangerous rhetoric, that sort of thing. But rhetoric is when you convince someone of something using logic and um, persuasion. That's what he was doing. If you read some of Paul's letters, like to the church at, at Galatia, it is classic Greek rhetoric It is him saying here's what you need to believe and here's why a lot of his writings are that way he was very skilled in doing this not just as a believer but also as a Pharisee that's what we need to understand Paul was a trained Pharisee he also was a Greek citizen who had Greek understanding of how people thought So what he would do is he would use their tactics, this rhetoric, and present the gospel and say, here's what you need to believe, and here's why. He argued persuasively about how good of a person he is. Nope. Look at the end of verse number 8. Arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. That's what Paul was out doing. He was preaching the kingdom of God. Much like John the Baptist saying the kingdom of God is at hand, Paul is saying here is the kingdom of God. Here's what you need to do to respond to this message of the gospel. Verse number 9, But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way, or Christians. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that, and watch this, so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. The word of God, this message about the kingdom of God was being spread. Jews, Greeks, everyone in the area was hearing it. Did everyone respond positively or favorably to it? Nope, they did the opposite. They became stubborn. But watch this in in verse number 11. This is while Paul was in Ephesus. It says, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. I don't know if you have ever flipped on a televangelist or something on one of the the Christian channels. Sometimes you hear they have guests come on or or something. They talk about this that what they do is they will sell you a rag that has been personally touched by someone with the anointing. They will sell it to you. You then take that to someone in the hospital or someone who is homebound or something like that and it will magically heal them. Where do they get that idea? This verse, these two verses right here. Now again, when we started this journey in Acts, one of the things that we had talked about, the narrative, which is what we're looking at, is not necessarily the norm. So, like my parents when I was being brought up with my two brothers, there's an old term and I know my parents said it many, many times, monkey see, monkey do. We were going to mimic our older brother and my younger brother would mimic me and him. It's when you see something and then you go and act on it and and try to do it. Same kind of thing here. If I see this and say, man, I'm kind of sweaty up here today. Let me, you know, do this, and then that will then go and and heal someone. That's not how this works. We are not Paul. Paul had unique apostolic authority. Same thing with Peter. I want you to flash back to Acts chapter five. When Peter was walking by, Peter's shadow healed someone. Do you remember that? His shadow healed someone. Is that the norm? Can we go at high noon and try to get a good shadow and you know, hold your hand or whatever under there? That's not how that works. So when we look at verses 11 and 12, these unusual miracles, some of your translations may say extraordinary miracles. Again, what was the purpose that Paul was doing out there? He was preaching the kingdom of God. He was preaching the kingdom of God. These miracles backed up what it is that he was saying. The content of his message, people are like, well, okay. And then a, a miracle was performed. It's like, oh, it authenticated what it is that he was saying. Paul was the Lord's representative in this pagan area of Ephesus, which we're going to talk more about here in just a second. But the Lord used these unusual miracles, these extraordinary miracles, to get his message across to people who were either stubborn, like it said in verse number nine, who needed some kind of proof, some kind of proof to let me know that this is true. Verse number 13, it says, A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation saying, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. Verse 14, seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest were doing this. Let's pause right there. These are itinerant Jewish exorcists. Yep, they existed back then. They still exist today by profession. What they would do is they would go from town to town casting out demons and evil spirits. They were successful in doing that. They made a living doing that, going around casting out evil spirits. Was it authentic? I don't know. I tend to think not, but what happened here in Ephesus Look at verse number 15. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. To me, that's funny. When you start messing with something that you have no idea, you're right leading up to it at least in your own mind like I can cast anything out of anybody I'm me and my brothers look at this we are so good at what we do until you come across the real deal the evil spirit recognized the authority and the power that Christ had he knew that Paul was a true representative of the true God that Paul had apostolic authority. But then you have these clowns who come in and try to do it themselves and then they get an old-fashioned whooping. They tried to do it because they saw Paul do it. They were like, oh, he's saying in the name of Jesus, so I'm going to try that. And what was the result of that? You see it. They were overpowered, they were humiliated, they were beaten, and they were stripped naked as the day they were born. They weren't fooling anybody. So, the name of this letter, this book that we're reading, is called The Acts of the Apostles. But one of the other things that we're seeing as we continue on this journey Is the magnification of Christ the elevation of Christ but what we're gonna look at now is like I said at the beginning is the transforming power of the Holy Spirit so let's look at verse number 17 this is coming on the heels of these guys that just got whooped the story of what happened spread quickly throughout all of Ephesus to Jews and to Greeks alike a solemn fear descended on the city and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored now my whole life I always thought that anytime fear for the most part is talked about in the Bible is a a reverence and honor which it is but not in this case When it talks about a solemn fear, it is, whoa, what's going on here? Oh, I don't want to do anything that will upset this this true God. Now, we need to understand a little bit about Ephesus before we go on. Ephesus was a port city, but it was also a pagan paradise, you name a god, somebody worshiped it there. There was so much paganism. That's why when Paul went here, he spent, I think, a total of close to three years here at Ephesus because it was such a foul place that he was in that these unusual miracles were needing to be performed, that a fear comes over the city. The word begins to spread. People are seeing proof of what Paul is doing. But a lot of people hear this and a lot of people respond. I want you to watch this. Verse 18, many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them in the public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Now, when we see something like that, it's easy to kind of read that and then kind of go on to the next uh, portion. But really, when you pause and think about that, these people were practicing what we would consider magic, the black arts, dark arts, whatever you want to call it, they were engaged in sinful behavior. But what happened is under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they willingly came and brought their magic books, their you know, incantation books to these pagan practices, witchcraft, whatever you want to call it. They came and brought it to the public bonfire and said, I don't want any fellowship with this anymore. And so what they did was they burned these books that were valued at several million dollars in today's money, the equivalent. But again, verse 20, the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. So I want to talk about the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit transforms us as believers from the inside out. We receive him at salvation, and then our part becomes we need to let him do his work. We need to let him do his ministry in our lives. I've always put it this way. The Holy Spirit does not take away our ability to sin. The Holy Spirit takes away our ability to enjoy that sin. Nobody amen that? Okay, that's all right. That's all right. The Holy Spirit does not take away our ability to sin. He takes away our ability to enjoy it. That process is known as sanctification. So let's pick on me, for example. Well, I was 28 before... I received Christ. It took me about six months of what I love how Paul aptly puts this that the spirit and the flesh are at war with one another. Picture that war for six months. I'm like, what am I even doing? I don't want to do that anymore. The Holy Spirit began to convict me, He began that process of sanctification. Was I holy? In the sight of the Lord the day that I accepted him? Absolutely. But much like what Paul talks about in Romans, this gangly flesh, this this body that I have, was not holy. My mind had to be renewed to the things of God, and it still is to this day, and it will be until I take my last breath on this earth. That is a sanctification process. So did I feel holy the next morning after I woke up after salvation? Nope. I'm like, man, I'm a dirt bag. But in the eyes of the Lord, the Lord saw me as His chosen, His special treasure. But I didn't see myself that way. We see here in Ephesus, in the midst of this pagan wonderland, this God-forsaken place that Christ's name was magnified even Through this muck and the mire and all of this paganism, we see the name of Christ being elevated by all of these people. Even in the worst situations, Christ is being honored. The other thing is why there was a fear, a solemn fear that descended, is because they worshiped many gods. Many gods could do many different things. If you need a god to find your car keys, I'm sure they had one. If you need to, God to help with your crops yep there's a different one all of these pagan gods would help with kinda this that and the other but I think my opinion when they saw the true God show up in the miracles in the message in all of this in Ephesus they the reason they were fearful is like oh no okay our pagan gods our little chump change gods they can't handle uh, hold a candle to the true God because we are seeing the true God. So I always like to ask this question, so what? This is good that we're reading this really good account where Paul went to Ephesus. People were convicted. Awesome. What does that mean for me? I'm glad you asked. This is a good reminder about the transforming work. It is a transforming process, not an instantaneous I did all of this stuff, then I accepted Christ, and then, nope, I'm not going to touch this, 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 or this. For some people, that's how it works, but not for everybody. The Holy Spirit helps us become more and more Christ-like. Again, it is a process. Cleansing us from our old ways of thinking and our sinfulness. And there's a a term that we see in the Bible, but if you talk to anyone who has struggled with a particular sin or something like that, the term darkness, in a spiritual sense, it is very, very real. When people feel convicted in a, not in a convicting way from this congregation, But when people are like, well, I don't want to go back to church because so-and-so may know what I did. Well, here's the thing. I want to spoil everything for everybody. Everybody in here struggles with something. So guess what? You're not alone. If there's anybody who does not sin whatsoever, I want you to raise your hand. Guess what? We're all in good company. We all sin. We all struggle with sin. It's different for every single person. So we are all equals in that fact that we need a perfect savior we need him so let's get that straight cats out of the bag we're all imperfect people so let's continue to build on that we still do in the words of tom Doty, we do dumb stuff as believers we do our absolute best to honor god in everything that we do but guess what We all fall short. Is that an excuse to say, well, no, you just, you did your best. Okay, it's, no, 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 no. Having good intentions is not good enough. The Holy Spirit should be cleansing us. Picture doing laundry the way they used to, scrubbing it on the the washboard and, and all of this. It is a scrubbing. It is a process, a cleansing that takes place. So I'm going to point out just a couple of, of quick things here. This is from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, and we'll put this up on the screen. We're going to go kind of quick through these. It says, this is John writing. He says, this is the message that we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So let's simplify this. Light and dark, good, evil. Okay, very simple. He goes on to say so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness we're not practicing the truth in other words for us as believers we need to be practicing the truth practicing is a verb it's an action it's things that we need to do we need to practice truth but if we are living in the light as God is in the light Then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen to that. Let's jump to the next one. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Do we have that? There we go. For once you were full of darkness. Guess what? That was me at 28 years old before I came to know Christ. 28 years old. I was full of darkness. Some people say, no, people are basically good. They just do some bad stuff. No, we are spiritually full of darkness before we come to know the Lord. But now you have light from the Lord, so live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Now, if we try to do this up here in our heads we're going to fail. It has to be the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So you may be asking, okay, what does this look like? In reality, what does this look like? I'm glad that you asked. Watch this, and I love how the Lord ties everything together. This is Galatians chapter 5 starting in verse number 19. Again, we're keeping it simple. Light and darkness light and darkness when you follow the desires of your sinful nature that is our flesh that's what Paul talks about I hate this flesh that I have my flesh sins but my spirit doesn't he says when you follow the desires of your sinful natures the results are very clear sexual immorality impurity lustful pleasures idolatry idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension and division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let's stop right there. If we are believers, we desire to live in the light. We desire. That's what the Lord calls us to do, to live in the light. It says, if you feed your flesh, if you feed that, this is going to be, these are examples of the outcome. All of these things. And I guarantee you that there are people in this room, those who are watching online right now who are struggling with these things right here. He goes on to say, let me tell you again as I have before that anyone not living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does that mean I became saved and then I struggle with one of those things listed that God's erasing my name, I won't get into heaven? No, it's unrepentant sin from that. Salvation is a completely different thing, but for the sake of time, I just wanted to to clarify that. Conversely, conversely, verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces its this kind of fruit in our lives let's look love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control see I told you self-control that's what the Holy Spirit produces in our lives so let's look at this example of these people in Ephesus who were practicing magic and sorcery and doing all of that they were compelled by the Spirit to go and burn their their books in the public square. They felt that conviction. They're like, "Mm." it says that they came. They confessed their sinful practices. They knew what they were doing was wrong. Was it Paul up there shaking his finger saying, nope, no magic for you today. You're a believer now. No, it was the Holy Spirit convicting them to where they voluntarily did this. But I want you to, if you get nothing else from today, I want you to listen to these next three verses. Because a lot of times we stop at the fruit of the Spirit. We stop right there. But I want you to look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Verse 24 really jumped out at me in reference to what happened in Ephesus. What those people did, they now belong to Christ Jesus. What they were doing is they were confessing their sin. They were saying, I don't want this anymore. I don't want fellowship with darkness anymore. And we see the result. They came and they publicly burned their incantation books. Or in other words, according to verse 24, they nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. We're going to go into a time of ministry here in just a second. And what we want to do is we want to do things a little bit different. Normally, we have people come up to the front for ministry time. This time, we're going to go to the back. We're going to have the elders kind of placed around. If there is anything that you are struggling with, You don't have to go into details, but we want you to know that prayer from other believers is what helps in this. Sometimes confessing things like what they did here is helpful. I'm not saying you have to do that, but it's it's an option. If there's something that you're struggling with, I can't shake this thing. It continues to chase after me. I can't do it. We want you to feel comfortable doing that. You may not feel comfortable doing it here this morning, and that's okay. But if the Lord is convicting you, the Holy Spirit is convicting you in a certain area, you can find myself. You can find one of the elders. Call us tonight. We can meet for coffee later this week. Something like that. But we need to do exactly what verse 24 and 25 is saying. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. That's what we want to happen this morning. And since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for his ministry in each of our lives. And we thank you the transforming power that he has, that you have given to your spirit to help us walk our Christian walks. Lord, we are human beings. That means we have a flesh. Our spirit desires truly... Desires to bring you glory and to do things that are in the light. But we also have a flesh and we fail. And sometimes we fail often. And Lord, we just ask that your Holy Spirit just lead us and convict us this morning where we need to be convicted. According to you, not according to me, not according to anyone else. But we just ask that during this ministry time that we take a a self-reflection, a self-inventory, and we listen to you, that we listen to your spirit. If there is a prompting from you, Lord, just give us the, the, the strength to go and pray with one another. It doesn't have to be one of the elders. It could be the person next to us in our seats. But Father, we want to do what your word tells us that we're living by the Spirit, that we want to follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And Lord, we just ask for for your hand to lead us in that. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tonti Town, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.